0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us together into your house. Lord, we ask that the entrance of your word would bring light. Lord, Jesus, I ask today, Lord, that there would be an anointing to speak these words as you spoke them yourself, to bring people into a deeper revelation of who you call us to be as Christians. Lord, that there would be a greater sense of, sense of imitating you and pursuing you with all that we are in Jesus' name. Okay, as I said, Luke chapter 6, starting from Verse 27. But I say to you who hear love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Incredible words. Now we're going to do something together. Turn to your neighbor, the neighbor you just met. Let them know I love you. <laughs> Now, uh, I can see some of you are having a lot of fun with this, but some of you are like staring straight ahead. (laughs) Don't let me get any eye contact. Don't worry, that wasn't a proposal or anything like that. It was just a brotherly, sisterly, Christian declaration of love. But if you were struggling to say I love you to someone, pick up a Revival Times and fan them, show them that you love them instead. Now, if we can't say I love you to a a brother or sister in the faith, how are we ever even going to get to the place of loving the enemy who's on the outside? How are we going to come to the place of forgiving the person on the outside? And Jesus, right here in this first verse of this passage that I want to read, shows us that there is nobody that we can segregate ourselves from. The people that we would want to segregate on the basis of religion, color, race, sex, status, creed, and so on, The Lord undoes all of that with this statement, love your enemies. And we see immediately from that that this is not a soft love. This is a courageous love. This is a decision to step beyond ourselves and our own limitations and to see the person who is in front of us. And I say that deliberately, the human being. So often we lose sight of the human being to all of the other categorizations that we might apply, yet Jesus calls us to love the person who is in front of us. Next verse, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Scott, that's the threads that you're about to lose. You know, I'm going to ask you for your jacket, and I'll take the shirt as well, but I don't think they'll fit, <laughs> and it's not appropriate church context and all that. He's, he's getting a lot of lack of mercy these days. I'm sorry, sorry Scott. Let's bring the mercy back. But you know, the the challenge is this, that um, in real life, in in, in facing challenges with loved ones, sometimes with family members, if you've got difficult family relationships, or if you've got quite healthy family relationships, but think about your friends, or if not friends, think about work, when you are in the context of real life, often it's the fight to survive. I I certainly remember that of the time before Christ, uh, where I would never, ever be slow enough to let someone strike me on one cheek they would get knocked out before they'd strike me on one cheek. I don't know how you are with your words, maybe. Someone comes to give you an insult, and before you've, they've even completed the insult, you've cut them down with the words that you have, never giving the opportunity for the other cheek to be turned. But what can so often happen in a Christian church context is as we get saved and social circles become Christianized, we begin to withdraw from the real context in which these verses apply. We begin to surround ourselves with people who we don't consider enemies, and we never have the opportunity to turn and allow someone to strike the other cheek. We hide away in churches instead of engaging in real life. And there's a challenge there for us that these verses that Jesus is speaking are verses that we are to apply every day. They are the substance of the real life of the Christian. Christian life is not simply about a spiritual relationship with God. It's a relationship with God which then applies and impacts your everyday relationships. We don't bring our lovely Christianity, our Sunday best on a Sunday, and then go back to the dog-eat-dog world of Monday to Saturday. Rather, Jesus calls us to bring the kingdom with Him. Next verse, give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods do not demand them back. I don't know about you, but I hate being ripped off. I hate it. If someone tries to scam me for money that they don't need or give me or sell me a product that I don't need, I really get annoyed by that. But Jesus is saying something quite challenging here. Give to everyone who begs from you. Now, we know that in a context uh, like of London today, we want to be wise stewards. I strongly encourage you, if someone comes to beg from you, take them to Sainsbury's, take them to Tesco's, buy them lunch, buy them dinner. Do something that you can do, don't simply give money to something that might end up being used in other ways. Uh, There are all sorts of gangs that operate in the area to raise funds through beggars and so on. We want to minister to the individual, but not feed crime. So we need to think, how can we be good stewards with our money? How can we be blessers um, and be generous with our giving? And here's where we begin to see Jesus' teaching take on some further depth. Uh, It begins to explain to us the kind of attitude and lifestyle that He's seeking for us to adopt. He's asking us to intentionally set up an asymmetry in our lives. An asymmetry is when something is not equal. You have a big and a small. And what he's saying is so often in our interactions with people, we do things symmetrically. We try to identify people at the same level as us, have the same types of jobs as us, roughly the same sorts of ages as us, roughly the same sorts of stages of life, whether you're single, married, kids, and so on. And we try to symmetrize it so everyone is at the same level. So if I invite you around for dinner, I know that you are going to be able to invite me around for dinner. If I give a gift worth 20 pounds at your birthday, I know you're going to give me a gift worth 20 pounds, and everything is the same, same, same. But what Jesus is saying is, I want you to deliberately set up intentional difference in your life, large to small, small to large. An example in Scripture are the Corbin schemers. Now, that's not Jeremy Corbin, uh, but the schemers who would do this, they would take money that they knew they should give their parents to honor their parents, to look after their parents in elder, older age. They would take that money and instead give it to God I say, you know what, <laughs> I've donated to God on your behalf. So the parents are there thinking, you know, I thought when you would get old enough, you would send some money back my way, but now you're donating on my, my behalf to, to God? I would rather have had the money I've faithfully given and tithe all my life. Now you're supposed to be sending the money back my way. But you see, these people were really not into giving more than they should or giving above and beyond what God required of them or even culture required of them. And this is a challenge for us because if we don't do what is correct towards the people that are around us that we say we are in right relationship with, how are we ever going to get to the place of loving enemies. I'll say that a different way. That passage I just read, some people read that passage and they say this, it says, don't worry about loving people who uh, can love you back and don't worry about giving to people who can give back to you so I don't have to bless any of my brothers and sisters in the faith. I can just keep being the same difficult person that I am because Jesus says that I should love my enemies, cancel out that love brother to brother. Let me just love my enemies. But then they never, ever go to actually love their enemies. And this is where we get into trouble in the Christian faith. We try and look for situations where we can cancel out the commands of God because of teachings that we never actually then subscribe to. Then he goes on to something further, the final summation of his text. Uh, "'But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great.' And you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is the king, sorry, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And as we've been on this journey just reading these few texts before we get into discussing some of the ideas there, I wonder if you've been challenged, if you've been thinking, well, actually, did Jesus really mean "Love my enemies?" and can I do that? He started the passage, "Love your enemies." He ends the teaching, "Love your enemies." This is clearly an intentional command from Christ, but how do we do it? And the answer is that we can't command it. Everything that I say to you is pointing to the teachings of Jesus today, for you to go away and really ask the Lord yourself, how can I live these verses out? How can I really learn how to love my enemies? And it's only really cultivated from time with the Lord. But there's also this interesting idea there that I'm going to pick up later, is that in the context of doing what Jesus calls us to do, there is a reward. And we'll unpack that a little bit later on. So that's the passage. Love your enemies. It looks like something. Taking a a strike on one cheek, then the other cheek. It looks like giving away your, your jacket if someone has need of it. It looks like giving to people who ask you for... It looks like looking for people that cannot ever pay you back to do so. This is a challenging idea. Actually, it's the first in history of this type of idea. If we think about what Jesus brought to the table, you know, we, many people acknowledge that Jesus Christ is a great teacher. He's much more than that. He is the Son of the living God. He eternally was and eternally will be. But what did he bring to this earth in the time that he spent here walking around among us? Solomon, the wisest cat to have walked the earth before Jesus, said, there is nothing new under the sun. So he was suggesting that there's no fresh ideas, but we see in this idea of Jesus soon that something incredible was invading our world. Now, the Old Testament gives us some perspectives on how to love people, and this obviously it's formed in a historical cultural context alongside other cultural ideas. Uh, You'll hear a lot of reference if you spend any time looking at legal codes to the Code of Hammurabi, as an example, uh, who was an ancient Babylonian king, and they'll explore and look at this idea of codes of conduct. And when we think about the Old Testament perspective, the Old Testament perspective already gives insight into how Jewish thought was quite different to other thoughts, and particularly when it came to this issue of how we are to love. But then we find when we move from Old Testament and other contexts into Christian contexts, we'll see that there's literally an entire paradigm shift that happens. Let me explain what I'm talking about with an example. It's probably easiest. Jesus is sitting down teaching, and He's approached by a lawyer, and the lawyer asks Him a question to test Him, Matthew 22, verse 35. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And we should all know this one. He said to Him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your, all your, and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Well, Jesus is evidently quoting the Old Testament. But I don't know if you knew this, that he's quoting two separate verses and bringing them together for the very first time. The first one is in Deuteronomy 4. 6 verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This verse is actually quoted by every single praying Jew twice a day as part of a three-verse prayer. Oh, sorry, three-section of verses prayer that they bring together to remind themselves of their identity in God, and it's actually called the Shema Yisrael, which is to do with this, Hear, O Israel. And it refers to, from their perspective, a prayer that gives identity but does much more than gives identity. In this prayer, the Jewish people, when they pray this prayer, are calling on God for the kingdom to come, the kingdom of heaven to be manifest in their lives. And so, that's the one verse. On the other verse is Leviticus 19, wholly different location. It says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so, these two verses are brought together for the first time in in Jesus' time, and He says, on these two depend the entirety of the law and the prophets basically saying you can understand the entirety of the purpose of life if you can live out loving God and then loving your neighbor as yourself. However, for us today, we're really okay with that. We've been used to hearing these verses in context. We've been used to thinking of of them in a Christian theology context. But at the time, this was totally unacceptable. It was controversial because it was bringing together… Sorry, it was saying that loving God which should be in a total category of its own, should be brought into the idea of loving humanity. For the Jew, that was unacceptable. Loving God is loving God. We can talk about human relations later, but keep him in a category of his own. Uh, To put it in an illustration form, this is like saying you must love your mistress as much as you love your wife. They should not be considered in the same context. Actually, you shouldn't have a mistress if you have a wife. But, you know, just saying, in case you weren't clear about that. But with this is like it, Jesus is elevating man and linking man's love for God to man's love for one another. And that's fatal to the idea of individualism in our current context. You cannot be, uh, it's just me and God, christian cannot exist. If you were the one who says, I don't need any Christian friends, I don't need any Christian counsel, I don't need any Christian teachers because I've got my Bible and my God and it's just me and God, misunderstood Christianity. It's actually good to have you here because you shouldn't be here if you really believe that to be true. The reality is that we need each other. And when we love God, we are called to love one another death to individualism within a Christian context. So that gives an illustration. Jesus is bringing together two different ideas, putting them together in a helpful way, but they were preexistent ideas. You can find them in the Old Testament. However, with this one, this world-changing idea, love your enemies. This does not exist anywhere, at any time, in any writings, at all, before Jesus Christ. That must signal to us how substantial and significant this teaching is going to be because most of our good ideas are really reformations of old ideas, but Jesus' unique idea flows out of His vision of love. It is controversial to bring together love and the people that you want to hate. It's controversial to bring together love and the people that you want to hate. And I deliberately say want, not should, because even though there are many reasons why we could hate people, you never should hate people. Jesus is challenging us to think about how we love them, and in that verse He undoes entirely the punitive justice of eye for an eye that we find in the Old Testament. And I want to suggest to you that this is not just the pinnacle of thinking for Jesus' time, this is the high watermark. This is the Mount Everest watermark of ethics of all time, to love your enemy. Now, some people today have gone a, what they believe to be a bit further, uh, more spiritual, into the place of universalism that we have to love everyone and everything. And the fallacy of that thinking is that it is naive about reality. There are people that we really will have to wrestle to love just because of the way they treat us and how they harm us and so on. It is an intentional decision, not simply a romantic idea. But much more than just being the first and unique idea of its time, Jesus goes on to embody the prince, uh, embody and demonstrate this loving your enemies. You know, what happens in our world today is that people come up with good ideas that later get debunked. So for the time, it sounds like a great idea, but later on it gets debunked, okay? It's like today, they're saying there's no point in taking all of the vitamin pills that we take because it just gets washed through the system and it's much healthier to take it from your natural food intakes. At the time, it was a great idea Everyone jumped on the bandwagon. That's why Holland and Barrett and all these other healthy food stores exist with all of these array of vitamins you can take, but doesn't benefit you, except maybe living in the UK in the winter for vitamin D, but now we've got a glorious summer, we can get vitamin D sitting outside. Amen? But those good ideas get debunked because no one can prove them, but Jesus gave the good idea, and then demonstrated the good idea. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you, John 15, verse 12 through 14. And so, in this love command, we find the height of Christianity. We find the height of who we are called to be as followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. And yet I know, like you, that there are huge problems with these texts. Huge problems. Because we ask, are you telling me that Jesus set us all up to be doormats? Are you telling me that Jesus set us all up to be punching bags? Should people just (laughs) look at us and find out we're a Christian and then come rip us off? Hey, uh, I need a hundred pounds, and another hundred. I need a hundred pounds, another hundred. I got nothing left to give. I don't know if you're rich enough to be giving away a hundred pounds in the first place. But are we supposed to be, hey, you want someone to hit because you're angry? Have one. Okay, now have another. Is that what we're supposed to live like? No, there's a huge difference between submissiveness and subjugation, which many people read this passage as. Versus the defiance of love. Real love wins. There is a meme out there today. A thought. A phrase. Love wins. But that phrase, love wins, is often used in a particular context. You must love me. Love wins. Real love is when you choose to love somebody because of your allegiance to the Lord, who is love. So because Christ challenges us so, there are some principles that I wanna unpack with us. After I follow one more big thought here. God is calling us to be people of defiant love, but He's also calling us to be people of radical justice. And this is another issue is, when you t- tackle a verse like this, typically in a room like this, there would be someone who is undergoing physical abuse. It could be a man or a woman. It could be being beaten up in your own home by your husband or your wife, or in work context and your friendship groups and so on, and often people recognize the injustice of such things. That's why Jesus' teaching is so controversial. What? Are you telling us to accept the injustice of abuse? need to be very crystal clear, absolutely not. Jesus' command here is not intended to keep people locked in harmful, abusive relationships. It's not intended to keep people under submission to another person who uses verbal or physical force to control them. That is not the intention of these verses. Rather though, they are verses which are intended to challenge all of us in our day-to-day Experience. So if you find yourself in that sort of a scenario where you are being abused, you need to do the right thing. Doing the right thing means you need to call the police if you're being physically beaten up. It means you need to get authorities involved in setting some distance between person who's abusing you and yourself. That is the right thing for you to do. But when we are looking at life and when we're walking around and experiencing the challenges that we face, we find that these teachings presents some form of injustice from our point of view, because it's modeling this idea that the powerful can keep abusing the weaker. Who, who, who would come and slap you? I mean, the context is uh, in a context of a superior invading uh, force, the Roman a uh, Roman Empire, that is subjugating the local nation. And it would be that a Roman citizen had many more rights than the local peoples, and They could make demands upon the local peoples. Rather than carry their own baggage or their own materials, they could command others to carry it for them. If they felt like slapping somebody, they could. Um, And so there's a, a very unjust context, but it looks like powerful people, weak people. And so often the kind of preaching that we hear that is inconsistent really with Christ's teaching is that we just need to swap the positions. We need to become the powerful people, and we need to put other people down in their place. And this is an issue of how we see justice. And I want to ask you, do you have a punitive view of justice or a redemptive view of justice? Punishment is, if somebody does wrong, something wrong, they should be punished. So if you do something wrong, eye for an eye. And what Jesus is doing for us here is introducing His redemptive view of justice. And His redemptive view of justice requires that we recognize something needs to change. We are not the judge. God is. Say it a different way. Let me try and explain this for us here today in a way that we can grab hold of. Justice in the kingdom of God is perfect justice because it's God who determines what is right and what is wrong. But we must understand that the God who is judge at the center of our faith is also the God who is love. And so any kingdom justice must be understood within the context of the economics of the love of God. Or say it a different way, Jesus asks us to remember mercy in the context of justice. And this is part of that invitation to accept a lifestyle of asymmetry, what we deserve, what we get, what we don't deserve, what we get, what we can give, what we can get in return, by doing that, what God gives us back. These are some of the challenges that he asks us to consider. I feel like I need to drive it home a little bit more. Say it like this. We all need to live with the constant memory that we wouldn't be sitting here without the mercy of God. We cannot minister to the person next to us unless we first remember that truth. So often what happens is that people have an incredible encounter with God at home. They recognize their need for mercy. They get on their knees before God and they're crying and they're repenting. And then they come to church and judge the person sitting next to them. Look at how they're dressed. Look at how they, look at that sour look on their face. What, what is going on? You know, they've got bad BO, all of that kind of stuff. We think about the judgment aspects first before we remember the mercy aspects. Really, we are shaped by a punitive form of justice rather than a redemptive form of justice. So God calls us, Jesus is calling us to this place of asymmetry. Do for those who cannot do back to you. So I've got three points for us, three big points for us to take away. Love reveals your identity. Love reveals your identity. Now, I want to come back to Been struggling with this shoelace, but my my T-shirt's too tight. I need to get a looser shirt. I don't think Scott's shirt would fit, though. It's a a bit tight. But, you know, this is why this issue. If someone asks for your tunic, if someone asks for your cloak, give it to them. Would you do that today? I mean, apart from a sizing challenge, would you do that today? I'll tell you why we wouldn't do it today. Apart from that, not wanting to be ripped off. But we invest so much of our identity in the clothing choice that we make. Scott wanted to be the best dressed person here today. (laughs) All the time, all the time. Okay, hallelujah, mercy. Um, But he wanted to be the the best dressed, person here today. So, he got his threads out, and he put them on. When I say threads, I don't mean things that are falling apart. I mean the finest, the finest jacket he's got, because this is not Scott. This is all of us. <laughs> Locked up in our clothing is so much of the sense of our identity. Do you know how long I had to shop for this? Do you know how many bargains I had to dig through? Did you know how much I had to save in order to be able to purchase this item? I had it tailored exactly to fit me. It's best clothes. And why would I then give mine to you? And this is a problem when clothing becomes your identity, because uh, we feel that something is tied up in that item. And you know, like, how many of you need all the clothes that you got at home? You need all the jackets you've got, and you need all the handbags, and you need all the dresses, and you need all the suits, and you need all the shoes. How many do we, do we need all of that? But no, it's because we've, it's, it's part of our appearance, it's part of our construct, it's part of what we look like. Maybe it's part of our riches indirectly. Why should I share what I have accumulated with my life with somebody else? You know, the fascinating thing about some genuinely wealthy people is that you wouldn't know you really wouldn't know. You see them on the street, they're wearing elastic band jeans because they're more comfortable than wearing a belt and polo shirts that they bought for five bucks from a a mass. And they're rolling in millions, and they're just cruising. But then there are people who have to tie up their identity in their clothing. And yet Jesus says, listen, if you are in a place where you love your enemy, You'd be willing to give up your Armani. You'd be willing to give up your... Uh, I'm Kate Spade, uh, I'm, I'm grasping now, I've lost, I've lost all the sense. Give me some good fashion tips, Scott. Huh? Hack it, okay. Uh, who else? You'd be give, willing to give it up for the person that's in front of you. You'd be willing to say, you know what, you need this more than I do. You need, okay, you, you want the jacket? Here, have the jacket. I've got the waistcoat as well. You want the waistcoat? Because we've got so much, but our identity, we need to surrender our identity in the clothing and recognize, you know what? Our new identity is in Christ. As sons and daughters of God, we've got a new identity. I don't quantify my riches by what I am clothed in on the outside. I quantify my riches by what I have to give from the inside, which is God's love placed in me for you. That's a feature of the children of God. So, love reveals your identity. Second, love receives a reward. Now, let's not be super spiritual. There are so many great Christians who come to church and say, you know, I don't need a reward. (laughs) Uh, I know, Jesus, you know, that's all the reward I need. Forget about it. Listen, salvation itself is an undeserved reward. So, stop pretending like you are not somebody that needs rewards. We all needed the reward of heaven. But secondly, Jesus says it. He says... If you do this here, great will your reward be in heaven. And it's false humility, really. It's a pride when we are so super spiritual in church. You know what? I, I don't need any reward. Yet outside the church, you're hustling for every kind of reward you can get. <laughs> we have got to continue, be continuous and consistent. Run for the price. Run for the reward that God will give you. But do it consistently with his way. And he asks accept great injustice now. And in the future, you will get ultimate justice. But in the meantime, you're going to face a lack, you're going to face a struggle, you're going to face a deficiency. If we live out of a great love now, we will also see a great love in the future who the Father really is. So first one was love reveals your identity. Second, love receives a reward. Last one, and this is the one that really spoke to me out of Colin's message last week, love manifests the kingdom. He talked about going a little further, and he was using the illustration of the disciples going a little further with the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he made this statement. Because when you go a little further, in that difference between where you would have gone to and the additional, you experience the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God breaks in. He used the illustration of Christ that Jesus up until the point of praying alongside his disciples, human, the next bit, divine. That's what separated him, the willingness to go all the way to the cross on his own. And when we love like the Lord asks us to love, when we give him a minute, we are transcending the heritage that we have of loving your neighbor, You know, we could spend all day, we could have spent all today looking at who is my neighbor so that I can love them. But rather, let's transcend that heritage, good as it is, and anticipate our inheritance. I want you to think about this. What could happen if you really loved your enemy? If, you know, you are out on the street through no fault of your own, you get into a dust-up. One of my cell guys was out with his workmates um, and they were celebrating and he was the designated driver. But one of their kids was a bit brash, his boss's kid actually was a bit brash and was causing all sorts of trouble with all sorts of people in the place where they were at and wound a few people up. And he was about to get beaten up and my cell guy steps in to stop it. Doesn't step into fight, steps in to stop it. Gets whacked with a bottle himself. Has a lovely, beautiful, big scar on his head now. This only happened six months ago. You know what I love about this? This guy's huge. It's 120 kilos. If he decided to, he would put you in hospital real quick. What I love is that he didn't. In that moment of getting whacked over the head with a bottle and a scar that will mark him for the rest of his life, he didn't retaliate. He kept his peace. His mates asked him, mate, what's up with you? He was able to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in a life that I'm accountable to God for, therefore I want to love people, not hate people. Can you imagine the power of that statement in those people's lives from that point forward? Can you imagine yourself if instead of the person who's ripping you off and normally gets their way, experienced something of the kingdom of God breaking through in the way that you responded in a particular situation? Isn't that like Jesus? Jesus on the cross, maybe one day we'll have to face the cross, but each day we can live the cross. People come and they do things to us, and he was put on that cross and prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was loving his enemies. Stephen learned the same lesson. Stephen said, Lord, forgive them, they don't know what they do. The incredible thing of Stephen's life was that the kingdom of God broke through, and Paul got saved as a result of Stephen's testimony. Imagine what could happen if you loved your enemy. Because if you don't love your enemy, if you just hate your enemy in the same way that you're hating, they're hating you, you're just living this world. You're just living what this world has to offer. But the moment we obey Christ's words, love your enemy, we bring the reality of heaven into each of these moments. I'll say it a little bit differently for those of you who are uh, met, uh, winning motivated. If you like winning, this is not the route to losing. Rather, if you like winning, turning the other cheek, giving to those who beg of you, giving a tunic to those who ask of you, is learning how to win whatever the circumstance. As being someone who says, you know what, I believe in a higher power, I believe in his ability to move in this situation, I believe in being obedient to the word of the Lord. And you can flip every seeming disadvantage to your success to prompt people to ask the question, why did you act like that? So finally, I want to just leave us with some practical uh, thoughts as we head out into the week. Scripture says, if someone requires of you to go one mile, go the extra with them. I want to ask you to go the extra mile with the Lord Jesus today. We need to shift from a life that is preoccupied with life into a life that is preoccupied with Christ. So much of the reason that we don't bring forth this this love your enemy reality, the reason that we miss all of the opportunities and the uh, intentionality that we have on a daily life is because we're so preoccupied with this life, yet if you went another mile with Jesus… Spend a little bit more time with Him. Spend a little bit more time in the Word. When you are out and about, you find yourselves immersed with that desire to see the Kingdom of God and Christ manifest. It requires a change in our mindset. And for that to happen genuinely, we need to be practical in a few ways. I was saying this to a group of guys I was speaking to on Wednesday. One of the issues that we all struggle with in this, in in London particularly, men particularly, but of course this applies across the board, is that we believe that we have to give 100%. And so we give so much in the workplace and so much in the place where we're making our our money count that when we get home, we got zero. And the problem is to live this life, to live the love your enemy life, we've got to have something, not zero. You've got to have something in the tank, not nothing in the tank. If you get home and the first thing you do is collapse on your sofa and watch TV for the rest of the night, it's because you're living on zero. Give 100% but work is only 30% of your time. So give 100% of your, for the 30%. It's like if you had 100 pounds, and you spent 100 pounds on a lovely dress, you got nothing when it comes to dinner time. Right? So spend 30 pounds on the dress, keep 20 for your food shopping, you save 50 for the future maybe. Go out on a nice date with someone, whatever it might be. But give 100% of the 30% so that you've got stuff left in store. So many of us are burning out on the warm-up. We're just burning out on the small things that we're supposed to be doing instead of keeping some back for the areas where we're really going to start working out. You know what? Loving your family requires strength. Loving your friends and your disciples requires strength. Loving your enemy requires strength. And if we don't do it for the people that we love, Jesus, our family, our cell, how are we ever going to do it for the enemies? How are we ever going to keep back stuff that we can pour into their lives? No, we've got to start living intentionally with this idea in mind. For me to love my enemies, I need to be able to look after myself. How can I love my neighbor if I'm not loving myself? Bring us back to this idea, the big idea. Jesus' big idea. Love your enemies. Don't just come into the pinnacle of the human experience, come into the joy of imitating God, even if it costs you your threads. Three thoughts, go a little further for one another. In the coming months, I want to challenge you to go a little further for your brother or sister in the faith. If they ask you to do something for them, go the extra mile. But more than that, go a little further for a stranger. If you see someone struggling down the road, an old lady with all of her shopping, old gentlemen of all the shopping, offer to carry that stuff home for them. Just because you're a Christian, not because you're trying to evangelize. You know, sometimes we only turn the love on when we're trying to reach someone for Jesus. Well, what about being a real Christian every single day and maybe getting the opportunities to share Christ in that context? Finally, go a little further in prayer. And just a final thought to leave you with with this asymmetry piece. A lot of us are putting in a huge amount Without God, we're getting very little out. There's a a scriptural perspective on that, that we toil and we work, and yet our pockets have holes in them. Everything gets wasted away when we do it without God. But I wanna challenge you in the place of going a little further in prayer, at least start to pray, start to pray, start to pray. Because whenever we pray, God puts in. Whenever we pray more, God puts in more. And I believe that we're being led into a situation, a season where we recognize that all of our efforts are going to get nothing, but all of our efforts in prayer are going to see a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want to challenge you. These verses, they are to govern the rest of your life. They are to be the aspiration of the rest of our lives. So we need to cultivate every single day An opportunity for us to grow in each one of these amen let me pray for you father we thank you for the privilege of knowing your son jesus lord we ask lord that you would speak to us speak to us in our time with you speak to us in our prayer time lord cause us to become a people that are cultivating that second mile relationship with you jesus because we know in that place that our hearts will be transformed to be men and women of love, men and women who are so overwhelmed with love that we can love the people around us, our immediate loved ones, our family, our friends, ourselves, But Lord, that we are so full of love that we've got more left over to love our enemies, to actually have time to pray for them, to pray for the inbreaking of the Holy Spirit in their lives. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would become a people that learn how to take those opportunities to turn the other cheek, take those opportunities to be generous in our giving, take those opportunities to be sacrificial with what we have, that our identity as people of Christ would show and shine through in a way that gives you great glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.